Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Today on the show, we have Leah Wheatholter. She's the CEO of Workman Forensics. Uh, Workman Forensics is a firm exclusively dedicated to assisting their clients with fraud and forensic accounting issues. There are a lot of goodies in this episode, especially in the show notes, but some of the things we talk about is how does a forensic accountant work with internal audit and at what point should internal audit reach out to a forensic accountant? Where should we internal audit be looking for fraud? Uh, What is the investigation game? So that's one of Leah's uh, babies and one of the treats that is in the show notes for you guys to check out, but I'll let let Leah describe it um, herself in the episode. And then we asked Leah what her favorite fraud story is. She's been doing fraud work for pushing 15 years now. So she has a lot of a lot of good stories. And I wanted to know what her favorite one was. And she actually tells a story from her own podcast called The Investigation Game. So check that out. There's a link in the show notes to that. Um, and specifically to episode number 20, which is a story that Leah tells. She actually had um, the client um, that was being defrauded on and got to talk to them and hosted that episode so that's very interesting uh leah also talks about a payroll analysis macro in excel that is on the website so we put her website so we put a link to that and then also like i mentioned earlier the investigation game itself um so there's a link to that it's very interesting especially if you're looking for maybe a new way to get cpe um that one is definitely worth checking out all right here we go Okay, so you're in fraud, internal audit. Fraud's kind of been a hot topic, even to the point of should we be looking for fraud has been a question that's been popping up a little bit more. So um, do you work with with internal audit? Or maybe a better way to put that is how would you work with internal audit? So I'm internal audit. I find fraud. Um, My next step is what? Yeah, really, you need to call. I mean, I would say me, but call a forensic accountant or a fraud examiner. I, I would actually call a forensic accountant. And I want to be specific about calling a forensic accountant um, and preferably one that does have some sort of either the CFF or certified in financial forensics or a CFE um, because just because somebody's a CFE, they don't necessarily know accounting information because yeah. CFEs cover a wide range of stuff, but also so do CPAs. 
So mm -hmm. you need like this uh, special person that's specialized in forensic accounting, no matter what their letters are. Let's just say that. So yeah. definitely call, call a forensic accountant because internal auditors have access to the best data. And you know, like an internal auditor knows their company, knows the story, knows the procedures, knows why something doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times that doesn't translate very well when you start talking to law enforcement because you still work for the company. And so to have this third party come in and say, okay, I understand that this looks weird and that this looks strange based on what like your company procedures are, I'm going to have a more objective uh, perspective of whether fraud has occurred or not. And I can't testify to whether fraud has occurred or not. I, you know, that's a legal conclusion, but I at least know what that looks like. And the one thing that I'm always looking for is where is the cash mm -hmm. missing? And so the cases that I saw when I was volunteering with the police department, what um, like pretty actively was that we would get reports from internal auditors that would have like all this journal entry stuff or data focused stuff and law enforcement didn't know what to do with that because they need to just know where is the money missing. Mm -hmm. And so what I like to say a lot is that accounting journal entries uh, don't cash to the casino. I need cash <laughs> to go to the casino. Nice. So, um, but it's not that that information is invaluable because typically that's your clue. That's your pattern. That's how you find additional missing money. But at the end, I still have to trace it to where did this money get taken out of our organization our business yeah. and um so that's where a forensic accounting accountant and fraud investigator is focused which is just a little different than an internal auditor gotcha and you say and you said it there too where's the cash right speak in terms of cash and i know you said um to focus on cash by way of bank statements credit card statements and then payroll reports so where should we be looking within those three and maybe maybe payroll maybe the, the, the one to kind of speak to a little bit more than the other two, but where, sh where should we be looking within those or yeah, what should so, we be looking for? So everything that involves cash is going to show up somewhere on your bank statement. So that's why we start with that. But then, so I can see where deposits are coming from. I mean, I may need more detail, right? It might be a lump sum deposit or something, but I can sure. see money coming in. I can also see money going out. This is where we're going to find additional related bank accounts. This is where we're going to find wires buying crazy stuff. I had one several years ago that the wires led us to um, a vacation home being purchased in the Dominican, you know, like that was super fun uh, to find that one. But all of that information comes from the bank statement. But then on the bank statement, we have debits for payroll and we have debits for credit card payments. Mm -hmm. We can't actually see where the credit card charges, where the credit card was charged. We can't see those transactions from the bank statement. And then we can't see the detail of payroll. So that's why we also look at those other two things. Like it's kind of like your, um, since I am talking to more accounting audit people, that, those are kind of like your subsidiary ledgers, you know, everything rolls up into this bank statement, but we got to go look at the detail. So um, on when it related to payroll specifically, we're looking for, uh, well, first of all, payroll reports reports that we just receive, like as a business owner, I just receive a payroll report that's in a PDF and it looks real nice, but I can't do anything with it. So, um, you know, I can't analyze that at all. So working with the payroll company to get that in a digital format and then using 
that information to, to look for things like even dollar payments, um, looking at expense reimbursements. We're going to look to see if there's off-cycle payroll. That's been real popular lately, off-cycle payroll. So everyone gets paid on the 15th and the, and the last day of the month, but then there's like these rogue random payrolls in the middle. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but if it's in that Excel or CSV format, then you can run, a, you know, there's all kinds of tests. We actually have a macro available for download on our website and it allows you to copy and paste from your payroll reports like you know i would i would do it regularly and so you download it copy and paste from your payroll reports so you can look at from a and you, you can just keep adding to it but it graphs the individual payments and it graphs the total payroll and so then i can start looking for outliers gotcha. and so that's those are probably my favorite things to do with payroll data um, and then of course, if there is an outlier, and I, I think this is key too, this is another thing that I've seen when non-fraud investigators are kind of working these cases, they see the outlier, but that's only the first step. We have to then see, is this what was expected or not expected? Is this in somebody's employment contract or not? Because even though it's anomaly, it doesn't mean that it's fraud. It's so taking it to that next step to verify that, oh, okay, this was actually authorized for them to have these types of extra payments or off payroll. There was some sort of agreement, things like that. Yeah. That's the thing that's kind of frustrating with analytics is you can run all this, all these analytics and you can, and I'm speaking as someone that does <laughs> analytics around this, um, and you'll see the outlier or the anomaly and you, and you go, got them like busted. We we're taking you down. Then you go ask, and you're like, oh, yeah, well, it's because of this, this, and this. And you go, oh, no, of course, that makes tons of sense. You know, like, of course, that, you know, that's what it is. So you have this uh, payroll macro on your website. I know in looking at your website, you also have a fantastic blog. You have your own uh, podcast also. And then you have something called the investigation game. Could yeah. you tell the listeners what that is? And I think I've seen even like multiple investigation games. Yes. Okay. So what is that? Okay. So... Um, I had this idea a long time ago and finally, uh, my husband and I got into this tabletop community or ga tabletop gaming community mm -hmm. and you know, like where you go, I I'm going to be a real nerd for a second, but like where you go and you play, um, like tournaments in these card games and stuff. So we got into that. And so anyway, just kind of mesh the original idea with my casework with this whole card game idea. And so we actually created a card game that is called the investigation game. And it is based on one of my cases. It has been approved for NASBA. Like it's one of the NASBA sponsored, you know, whatever you call that for CPE. And um, you play in groups of four to five and you work this case. And there's lots of cool like technology, you know, kind of unlock something with a code. And I'm a big escape room fan. And so there's a little bit of that in there and you have 65 minutes to work this case. So I do a presentation on the investigative process. Then you play the game and then we go over the solution and hand out points. COVID kind of, I, I was booked to do a, a whole bunch of trainings in 2020 with the game. And um, so we had to pivot really quickly. We put this game online. It's kind of complicated online because it was made to be this kind of choose your own adventure mm -hmm. card game. So, you know, how do you translate that, especially for like, we're a bunch of analysts and accountants, but anyway, so we got that hosted online. 
Um, and then I thought, well, what if we just create another investigation game based on another case, but we design it to play online. Gotcha. So we have a second one called case of the cash flow fiasco that involves a, um, and all of these qualify for ethics, by the way, as well, ethics CPE. And so case of the cash flow fiasco is really about this, uh, like customer lender relationship that goes, goes poorly. And, uh, we then discovered that not everybody likes to play games. So I've deconstructed both of these. And so now it's an interactive case study as well. So if there's a group that doesn't want to handle all that technology, we can just walk through the cases together, both cases, and it's a whole lot of fun. Hey, everyone. Thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. Okay. So there is a physical card game. There is the online game. And those are two options for people that like games. Yep. And then for those that don't, you have this, the other option, right? Yep. Case of the man cave is really good in just driving home what the investigation, what the investigative process looks like looking for cash and also not making assumptions about what a loss is like kind of throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks it really like that's kind of the purpose of that and using data and evidence as the foundation cash flow fiasco i think or my takeaway from it anyway i don't can't speak for everybody who's played it but my takeaway is understanding where a risk of fraud comes from mm -hmm. when you have a customer or a vendor or really anyone you're in a business relationship with that is in cash flow trouble and the risks that come out of that situation. And then kind of looking at it from their perspective, because I think as an investigator or auditor, it's really easy to start saying, well, these are all the things you did wrong, or this is where your internal controls broke down. And like, like from this, I don't know, all knowing perspective versus, you know, well, of course, hindsight 2020, right. But in the moment, this individual decided they were going to relieve that pressure incentive side of the fraud triangle by committing fraud, what ultimately was fraud. And I think it just gives a little more perspective to, because uh, a lot of people who play that game want to criticize the customer and definitely want to criticize the lender. And that's, so that's why I think that one's kind of important that it's like, no, there's this risk that was there and some people made some bad decisions and took advantage of some weak controls. I don't think that any process or procedure can present, prevent 100% of fraud because internal controls are broken just through collusion. I mean, two people working together, boom, your whole system's yeah. worthless. It's about detecting it quickly. And, and so um, that's really just one of my favorite things to talk about because if I detect it quickly, I'm managing the loss. It's when these cases that I work, you know, the average case for me, somebody's been stealing money for four years. Mm -hmm. That's like the I don't know. Yeah, that's probably the average life of the schemes that we work. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. When if it had been caught sooner, yeah, they lost money, but it's a lot less. 
the thing that I thought was interesting was the like catch it sooner. Like, you know, it's going to happen because that's the other thing, right? It's happening everywhere. Yeah. And I was talking cybersecurity with somebody today, another internal audit person, and they were talking about it's happening everywhere. Like, I don't think that's too much of a shocker to anybody. Like it's at your company, it's happening for sure. Um, and the approach is almost, okay, we know it's going to happen. How can we mitigate it as quick as possible? Like how can we find it as fast as possible to shut it down? Uh, so it's interesting that the, the fraud, fraud and cyber are very similar in that sense. We'll kind of close out with what is your favorite fraud story then? The story that I'll, I'll talk about, um, I actually interviewed the business owner, the victim on my podcast. It's episode 20, if anybody wants to check that out. <laughs> Um, I don't, but he tells his whole story and which I thought I was like really appreciative of, because a lot of people don't want to share that experience. Um, but this individual owned a business and then he, it was, um, I think it was like one of his primary income sources, but he didn't, he like got the business started, hired a CEO, CFO got all the processes working. And then he went and he lived several hours away and ran a ranch. And so he, um, anyway, one day he gets a phone call from one of his employees that says, Hey, I just think you need to know your CEO is overpaying employees and then is asking for a percentage of the money back. Like after they, after the money's deposited to the account, she leaves a, an envelope on their desk and says, I want this much money back. And then they go get cash and take it back to her. And I think you need to know this is going on. So um, he starts, you know, digging into it. And uh, ultimately we get a phone call from his attorney, start looking at it. And, uh, and this was actually one of our first cases to work from. It was one of the largest companies we had worked on. And so we had a lot of data to work with, which was really exciting for us because we had just purchased idea. Like, so this was my like, oh, we're going to test this out. And um, so we, we told him, we said, well, since we're going to do this from a data approach, we'd like to just look at everyone and just see who's being overpaid. Like, what, what does that pattern look like? And then we can identify all of the people involved. He says, sounds great. We start working on that part. I get another phone call from him that says, Leah, I think it's even worse. I think my CFO. So that was the CEO and a bunch of people under her. He says, I think my CFO is stealing from me as well. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So what's going on there? And he says, um, I, it looks like he's been diverting deposits. So this individual would create the invoices, send them out, and then he would get the deposits back and uh, make the deposits. Well, what we discovered was that he had just created a DBA very similar to the name of the business. So Workman Forensics LLC was now just so-and-so doing business as Workman Forensics. And he stole about $160,000 doing that, just diverting deposits. So pretty good there. But then in addition, somebody said, hey, I think that his spouse who used to work with us is also still getting paid. So we then get the payroll records. Actually, I think they were just paying them as a contractor. So we get the contractor records and or uh, disbursements, whatever. And we start looking at that. Sure enough, there's like $350,000 over our relevant period paid to the spouse who no longer worked there. 
Um, so all of these things just keep adding up, adding up. And, uh, so we were able once again, you know, to, to look at this just from a data perspective. So we, we were looking at everyone. Then there was a problem with petty cash or, uh, they would, they would like do expense reimbursements, but then they also did petty cash. And in the system, they would write a check, but the, at the end of the payee, it would say like dash expense reimbursement or dash petty cash. And they were only supposed to get paid two times a month. So for me, when I hear that, that's another like data point. Oh, I need you to just go see how many times a month these people were getting paid. So then taking that next step, the owner and his wife actually just worked like round the clock comparing it to all their supporting documentation so that we could quantify how much people had been overpaid in petty cash expense reimbursements. But it was all the same people over and over and at least six people, which once again, you know, you can have all the control. He thought he had great controls and he had an external bookkeeper that would come in and was supposed to be reconciling. What he didn't know is that the CFO was actually reconciling and the bookkeeper was just like giving a little check mark, you yeah. know, like not making sure the payees actually match the checks that were leaving the bank account, things like that. And so he thought he had great controls and he really did. But as soon as the CEO starts teaming up with these other people to falsify their payroll and work that scheme, well, the CFO sees it's happening so instead of the CFO reporting to someone, he just starts stealing as well. <laughs> I mean, we're over, his loss is well over a million dollars. And um, the sad part about it is that it hasn't really gone anywhere from a law enforcement perspective, even though they were interested in it, because there were so many people involved. So the dollar amount per person is pretty low, not to mention the ringleader was the CEO and there's no record of how much she stole because she's getting paid in cash. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just, it, that case is probably one of my like oddly favorites. I mean, it just had a lot of firsts. And then also um, I've just stayed in contact with him and, and have really tried to push the U.S. Attorney's Office along. And uh, Oklahoma just had a big Supreme Court ruling that has made it where a lot of these white collar cases aren't being prosecuted. And so, um, I mean, it's been sitting out there for probably five years and it's going to sit for a little longer. So, but I do think he's the best example of some of a business that did have controls because so many of the stories of embezzlement, small business, I mean, they don't have a lot of controls anyway, but he yeah. did. Yeah. And so we can't just rely on that. Yeah. Well, we asked for a great story and we certainly got it. <laughs> Thank you for that. So relative to, I don't know, fraud or, or anything else that you have going on, I know you have the investigation game going on. I know you're on LinkedIn uh, pretty often. Is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with? Do you have anything upcoming? Do you have um, a book, a webinar, anything like that that you would like the, the audience to know about? Um, yeah, so we, I don't know. I think I've really enjoyed this 10-year journey of owning my business because I've been able to like, create lots of things, you know, kind of create this vision I had in my head, I guess, as a kid. So I'm always just making stuff um, and creating new things. So we, of course, have the investigation game. We're presenting the kind of de deconstructed cash flow fiasco. And then we will present the investigation game anywhere now that we have digital, ver yeah. you know, virtual versions and in person. And, but you know, I, I know maybe I was picking a little on how internal audit needs to work with fraud investigators, but it's not to say that internal auditors can't learn more about fraud investigation. And our website is full of information. You mentioned the blog, 
We have the podcast. I have really great guests on the podcast. Really great guests. I'm just blown away every time we do that. Our YouTube channel has, uh, we've trademarked the term data sleuth, and that's our investigative process based on data, data analytics. And so we have data sleuth hacks on uh, YouTube, and I'm in the process of writing a book about our data sleuth process. So I don't know. I, I just think if you follow us on LinkedIn or whatever, we give away so much free information. You could really start doing this on your own. Yeah. I have looked at the website multiple times and there's always like, I think I sent you an email that said, I freaking love this blog or something like that. You know, yeah. like I love this blog. This blog was great or something like that. So I can, uh, I will let the audience know for sure that it is, it's a really, really good resource. So, all right. Well, Leah, thank you very much for coming on. It was a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.